0: hello everyone and welcome back to Epicentral. i'm your host maddie lewis infectious disease epidemiologist and in today's episode i'm doing a epi chat with epi cat that's epidemiologist cat on tiktok in this episode we talk about katrine's social media her day in the life the job market for epidemiologists and of course covid and when this pandemic is going to end and we hope you enjoy the episode Hey Kat, welcome to the podcast. So you're someone that I've known for over a year now. We haven't met in person yet, but we both started our TikToks around June or July of 2020, and now it's January of 2022, and it's so crazy how much has changed in a year and a half. So tell me, how has your life changed since you started TikTok?
1: Yeah, so I was just thinking about this earlier today, is that you were my first friend, I think, on TikTok. I think I met you like my first week on the app, because we were both epis making content. I think yes. you once at that time, maybe making videos every day um, about epidemiology concepts. But yeah, so I downloaded TikTok at the beginning of the pandemic, kind of for the same reason everybody else did, because I was bored during the lockdown. Never intended to make content. Never intended to be, become this Dr. Cat kind of character. <laughs> Cause, uh, but I, in a, as I was scrolling videos, I was seeing you know people's dogs and their food and people dancing and also a lot of unfortunate COVID nineteen misinformation. So. Because of that, I started to naively think I could help <laughs> and fix it, <laughs> the problem. So I started making videos and I had no clue like what a big kind of issue and problem it really was until I started to do it. But yeah, that so that is pretty much how, how it started. And then kind of how it's changed is, I mean, obviously the account's grew. (laughs) So I have a lot more followers now than I had two years ago, um, or a year and a half or whatever, how long it's been, I don't even know. And, you know, that kind of changes things because you get a lot of DMs and a lot of comments and a lot of it just becomes very kind of like a frenzy if you don't kind of force yourself to dial it back a little bit and not be constantly available and engaged online. So what's the
0: craziest thing a troll has said to you or has done to you?
1: Yeah, so I've gotten crazy funny and crazy scary both and so I guess I can talk about both of them. Like and I was I was just thinking yesterday there was somebody that commented it actually sent me a DM. I made a video yesterday and someone sent me a DM right after I posted it saying how many cats does it take to be a know-it-all on Instagram? And I was like, do I seem like, like a cat lady? <laughs> like I was like, I mean, I know my name is cat, but like, I was like, wow, I guess I'm giving off these, you know, cat lady vibes. I don't know <laughs> I was like, what's going on. So that was kind of funny. I get a lot of, um, so I limit my comments on Instagram and that drives, the trolls crazy because they have to send me a dm to insult me instead of just writing it on the video so everyone can see so they get right they don't like that so i get a lot of nasty dms um on there (laughs) um so that so i get stuff like that i get a lot of comments about my voice People don't like my voice. Um, and then there's the, there's like the scary kind of thing where, so those are the, like, there's crazy funny and then there's crazy scary. And I've had, you know, like about a, like about a year ago, I had like a doxing incident where people like had my personal information and my work information um, and were doing stuff with it or people that were having like live streams talking about me and a couple other creators and basically encouraging people to report us to our employers and things. And so that was a little bit scary, not because I thought I was going to get fired because I knew my work was very supportive of public health messaging and everything. Cause I work in academia in an epidemiology and biostatistics department of a school of public health. So I really didn't ever think that my job was going to be threatened but it didn't feel good having people sharing my information to, you know, around. Um, yeah, it's that's a really weird feeling. yeah, it's a really weird feeling knowing people want to cause you harm, you know, personal or professional. It's just not a good feeling. Right. When you're trying to help people, it's it's just very disconcerting and unsettling feeling. So so that was bad. <laughs> but So there, I've had so it's definitely the content creation thing has had its ups and downs in terms of that there's that stuff like the trolls and the harassment and the bullying and the doxing and all that stuff is, is horrible. And people might say like, well, why do you do this? This is like, why would you put up with that? It's awful. But then on the other side of the coin, like almost every day I get comments and messages that say like, thank you so much for your videos. I got, My aunt vaccinated because she watched one of your videos or my daughter's now vaccinated and she's pregnant because she saw your video about, you know, the health alert about pregnant women or, you know, just so many different nice messages that come in that that I feel like, okay if those people are writing me, there's probably more that have seen one and decided to get vaccinated or decided to trust me that I was, you know, helping that I'm here to help. And, and that is kind of what keeps it being worthwhile to me is that there are so many people that are giving good feedback in addition to the people that are nasty.
0: (laughs) Yes, for sure. The upsides definitely outweigh the challenges of the trolls. And I think a lot of the trolls aren't even real people. Uh, And then, you know, you, you can realize they're just you know, miserable or bored or whatever they are. But I remember that doxing incident. I think that happened like a year ago. And that was definitely really scary. Um, I'm terrified of getting doxed to the point where, especially after that happened, I decided I'm not even going to say where I work when I get a job. Um, I was a student at the time, so I didn't have- Yes,
1: I remember. Yep.
0: Yeah. So I didn't have my like full-time epidemiologist job yet. And of course, I was on TikTok as well. And yeah, I decided I'm not going. Well, when I got on TikTok, I decided I'm not going to share where I go to school or where I live, even, which might be kind of overkill, but I would rather err on the side of caution when it comes to like online privacy. I do have my last name, and part of me wishes I even didn't have that out, but um, because for that reason, I have to private my LinkedIn account because if you look up my name then you're going to be able to find where I work and I don't want that so I I private my LinkedIn so you can't that's not a searchable thing um so people can't find out where I work it's it's crazy on that app but definitely worth it
1: I definitely agree and and but and just to add to that I didn't say where I lived for the first year I was on TikTok either because during I felt like during the previous presidential administration, the anti-science kind of environment was so strong. Our culture, I guess, or I don't know how to how to say it, but I felt afraid even having people know what city I was in until after that was over.
0: And you live in a big city.
1: Yeah. And I I didn't have my I just would have all my social media. I didn't have my website up at that point either so it just said cat like that's all and that's and that's actually why I started going by that because if you my real name is Katrine and it's really kind of hard if you just type my name in an epidemiologist like I pop up a million times so it's like really hard to stay private when you have a weird name so I was like okay I just have to just shorten it and then no one will find me and nobody did until I started to put myself out there more. But yeah. I was, so I totally understand your hesitation to do that because I was that way for the first like year I was on there.
0: Yeah. And I do think it's a good idea if anybody's starting the, the same thing to just maybe start out private and then go more public as you're more comfortable. But I don't know. I still get crazy. But I, I
1: totally know what you mean. And I, it was really only when I started to get interviews with like newspapers and TV that I started to say my whole name because they were in the press anyway. So I was like, you know, people are going to link me to that <laughs> no matter what. So I might as well just put it out there now.
0: Right. Yeah. So I didn't even realize this um, until I was stalking your page earlier today. And I noticed because I don't really get on other social media platforms outside of TikTok, but I noticed. That you have a good sized following on Instagram and you started posting your TikToks on YouTube. I think you might have a Facebook page. There's a lot. So you have a lot. Oh, yes. I'm,
1: I'm epidemiologist Kat on TikTok and Instagram, and I'm Dr. Cat Epi on Twitter and oh i'm epidemiologist cat also on youtube i think yeah so i've got a lot of a lot of different pages and really it's it's me posting my videos on multiple platforms and the reason i did that is cuz as i become more social media savvy during this endeavor i realized there's different demographics on all the different social media platforms so like twitter is like a kind of older more professional audience. And then TikTok and YouTube are younger. It kind of skews like teenage to mid 20s is the biggest bucket of people. And then Facebook and Instagram are like, you know, 25 to 45. So it's it's very different, the three kind of different age buckets. So I figured if you're going to try to push a message out broadly, you need to kind of be able to harness all of those modalities, I guess
0: as you're getting more social media savvy, do you see yourself making social media more of a core part of your career rather than a hobby?
1: So it's funny that you bring that up because I'm at this sort of crossroads with this right now. And the reason I haven't up to this point, dedicated kind of more of my time to it, and it does take a lot of time to make these videos. But I, I'm sort of at a point where I'm not really sure where I'm going to go with it because up to this point I haven't wanted to monetize my account because I feel like because I'm posting public health information during a pandemic I don't feel right um you know having a Venmo or charging for t-shirts or like selling things for (laughs) merch we need the merch (laughs) or like anything like that so I feel sort of a little bit like I can't I've kind of gone I feel like as far as I can go with this without monetizing my account because at this point you would need you know like PR and somebody to help you like I don't have an assistant I don't have anybody to help me with emails DMs you know, all of the coordination that goes into, you know, being a larger social media account. Like I know some people have like these virtual assistants that help them kind of sort through some of their DMs. And and I know I miss a lot of important stuff, but I just don't have the bandwidth to, to deal with it. And on Instagram, I just straight up have to put on my page that I don't read DMs. And on my website, I say that I'm just inundated and maybe won't get back to personal questions because I just, I'm one person and I have to draw these boundaries right now because I have a normal job and I have, you know, a lot going on in my life. I'm a mom and I have a house and I have to do other things (laughs) besides social media. So I feel like back to your question, like, I'm not really sure how it's going to progress because without monetizing my account, I don't, I won't be able to do any of those things you know better so I guess I'm gonna kind of I'm sort of in a holding pattern because I don't know after the after the pandemic which I love we love to say that but we have no idea what that even means or when but um I don't know if I'm gonna have this much time to be at home like making content all the time either you know I used to make a lot more than I make now I used to make like three videos a day now I'm down to like one. Oh
0: my gosh He used videos. to make so many videos <laughs> Yeah.
1: So like, I felt (laughs) like, I think, and I know we've talked about this before, but I felt like everything that happened, I had to make a video. I had to drop everything and just get it on my page and make sure that I was giving people, you know, the information real time. And then I stepped back a little bit and realized I'm not a newscaster. I don't need to be reactionary. I can take a moment, take a beat, you know, post a thoughtful commentary about something that happened and add to it. And so really, that's kind of so I don't so in, in a way, I would like to be able to continue the, um, the content creation, but I'm not sure how much more I can do with it right now without without monetizing, because it really does get to be a lot of work if you don't.
0: Right. Yes. Social media is a lot more work than I expected. And I haven't monetized yet. Like I'm, I just decided in the last month or two that I wanted to start monetizing. Now I'm around a little bit more than 40,000 followers on TikTok. I don't really have anything on any other platform. And I, I follow other people with similar amounts of followings who make a really good, it's really good side money, like 10, 20 plus thousand dollars a year extra income. And I work for the government, so I don't get paid that much. I make enough. I certainly make enough to like be comfortable, but I don't make that much. Like I make around the average um, of like any U.S. person. So, um, and I have a master's degree with a ton of debt, so
1: <laughs> I'm <laughs> yeah, definitely trying that. to
0: monetize <laughs> got to take care yeah. of that. And-, no, and, and
1: I think they care the places like you definitely have enough followers and the places, I think they look at your engagement rate. Yes, more than the because if there's if you have a million followers and a really super low engagement rate, that's not worth as much as like somebody that has less with a very high engagement rate that they know people are paying attention to.
0: When I started my TikTok account, I thought like maybe I could make money from this one day if I like decided to keep, you know, really go with it. Like, of course, that crossed my mind. But that wasn't obviously the purpose. And and to stick with it after a year and a half. I mean, that without getting paid, like it's, it's truly a hobby that I enjoy. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, but- it, it is. I mean, I, I do feel like we're helping people with our stuff and, and that's sort of payment in itself, like knowing you're helping somebody cause we're our public health people, but there's going to come a time when <laughs> like, you know, at some point I won't feel obliged to, to do it so much as I do now you know who knows after the pandemic I might start doing things like that but right now I just don't it's not personally what I want to be doing at this point to during the pandemic
0: right so a lot of your content is very science and data heavy I would say that's more of your like you know personal brand so yeah. to speak mine is definitely more uh, or I've kind of transition because i've gone through a billion different phases on tiktok um (laughs) talking about a thousand different things and mine is more like science plus lifestyle is kind of the vibe i'm on now for going into 2022 so do you think you'll get into more lifestyle sharing personal stuff
1: you know it's funny because it's it's i like this question because it's sort of like kind of I'm thinking that way. Like I would love to talk more about like, I I've done, I have brought in some lifestyle stuff. Like I do roller skating videos. I've done some videos about my scooter collection. I've taught, but it seems like when I do try to do stuff like that, I get like nobody, I get like no views on it. Like people really really don't want to see that from me. Like my, my like very core group of followers do but those videos never really seem to do that well. But I feel like I'm going to start doing more of them just because I feel like the little family of people that always comment on my stuff, like they want to see that stuff. So, And they ask me stuff, like if I'm wearing a necklace in a video, somebody might be like, oh, can we see that necklace closer? And then I think to myself, like, should I really make a video just showing people my necklace? But then I don't think it's weird when other people do that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I like that, those kind of videos. But when other I don't I just feel like people aren't expecting that from me or something like and it's it it might be my And you saw my retro kitchen video. Like I was so nervous posting that because people kept asking me, oh, I like your bowling pins in your kitchen. I like your disco ball, like your kitchen's cool. Let's see your kitchen. And I was so nervous doing that because I didn't, I felt like I was afraid it was going to wind up on like interior design. Oh my God like real interior designers would see it and think I thought I knew what I was doing. Oh or got to roast you or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Terrifying. <laughs> exactly. And so I because I just put things in my house that I like. I don't <laughs> like try to like adhere to any kind of design like protocols or anything. So I was like, oh my God. So I was very nervous doing that video. But um, so yeah, it's harder for me to do that stuff, I think. Um I'm more nervous posting that stuff than I am (laughs) doing science.
0: I think you should start doing vlogs. I think that could be fun. I started doing that in December. I did Vlogmas and I had never made a vlog before then. And I realized I really liked it. I thought it was fun um, just to take these like three second videos of little things I was doing and products I was using and whatever. They got very little views.
1: But you like doing
0: them. Yes. Like you said, um, and the people who do watch them and comment on all of them are the people that comment on all my videos. It's like a core community. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about your career. I want to ask if you were to rewind back to 18 year old Katrine, what kinds of career decisions would you change?
1: So I, I actually am a pretty analytical person and I really do like my job when I was 18. I thought I wanted to be, a pro uh, like a programmer because i like i like programming in sas and doing all the data analysis and stuff so i really thought that's what i was going to end up doing so i liked math and i liked programming but when i started really working and doing that stuff i realized i liked epidemiology more because it gave me i could choose what i wanted to work on in addition to doing those other things so if you're a programmer you're just kind of given something to program and you don't really have a choice of what it is (laughs) always. yeah. But um, so I, I kind of liked being research methodology is pretty much like what I'm the best at, I think. And so planning a project and like figuring out what needs to be known and then figuring out what we need, what data we need and how to analyze it is what I'm, that's like my strong point, I guess. So that's, I'm way better suited as a, as like an actual epidemiologic researcher than a programmer because like I can kind of formulate it and then sort of direct people on how to do the analysis, I guess. Um, So I think I picked the right job, but, um, and I think we talked about this before too, where like, I do feel like TikTok is kind of a great, I like this outlet for me because I've always been Sort of I've been very serious about my career as a scientist, but I'm also in real life kind of a kooky, kind of out there person. And so cat at lady. Work, <laughs> I'm not a, I'm I don't kidding. even have a cat. So much. <laughs> um anyway, i so at work, I always sort of tried to downplay the kooky parts of me. And then with my friends, I always sort of downplayed the science nerd. Part of me because, like, when before, like the pandemic, nobody even knew what an epidemiologist was or what we did, or they didn't even know what the word was. And when you said you're an epidemiologist, they thought it was a skin doctor and <laughs> all this other stuff. So I felt like I would, it, I never was my whole self either place. But TikTok, even though it sounds really corny, is the only time I've been able to, like, be both things in one kind of setting. And that's why I really like it, because I can be kooky and creative, but I can also be this nerdy scientist and I don't need to kind of censor either thing on TikTok.
0: I get this question a lot, and I'm sure you've gotten it a lot, too. What is the day in the life of epidemiologist cats?
1: So I've been trying really hard in 2022 to structure my days better because I've been working from home as most people probably have since March of 2020. And I've been doing a lot of like free form and working way too much, like more than 50 hours a week. And just because I have sort of three jobs, I teach online. And then I also do research for work. And then I have this TikTok thing that takes up a lot of time because I read a lot of articles and make videos and do that stuff. So between those three things, I've been working a lot and not taking enough time for myself to eat well and make food. Um, doing a lot of carry out, you know, and a lot of delivery and not necessarily the best <laughs> choices, and also not really exercising as much as I should. So this, I'm trying really hard this year to structure my days better. So I build in time for those things. So moving forward, my day in the life will be, um, so I do the, drive my son to and from school. And then I do Meetings on Zoom, a lot of meetings on Zoom. That's why I've never done one of those, like, this is the day of my life video because it literally is me on Zoom. Um, So it's kind of, or programming in SaaS. So it's really like, people think I'm like in a laboratory or like, you (laughs) know. Investigating outbreaks or something. (laughs) Looking through microscopes and like doing all this really cool stuff. And I'm just not doing that. So um, exactly. So I'm, um, so a lot of my days are like, on zoom, or making material like I'm, I'm teaching an asynchronous online class. So I'm doing a lot on blackboard and getting content for that. So I'm recording lectures to upload to zoom to I'm um, sorry, to blackboard, and making stuff for the class, Then I'm, you know, doing research. So I I'm and my role in the research that I'm doing at work is I kind of work as a project manager. So we have um the the project that i'm working on now i'm sort of working on two one is wrapping up but the main one i'm working on now i'm sort of the project manager that i'm kind of taking care of like all the logistics of the research so i work with like the all the people that we hire to do the programming and the data collection and all of that the hospital sites and everything like that so getting everything kind of together and i'm like the main kind of point person, I guess, to make sure all of that happens, <laughs> so, and then I do a lot of writing, I did a, a lot of my, each day, probably, I write something, um, manuscripts, abstracts to submit to meetings, um, you know, a lot of, like, report type stuff, like, I do a lot of, like, scientific writing, And right now I'm working with another, like a TikTok creator. We're collaborating on a document about myocarditis on a Google document. So I'm doing that too. And that's not part of my normal job. I'm just doing that because we're submitting it someplace. So it's like, there's a lot of, a lot of different types of writing projects.
0: When I think of research, I think of it in kind of different arenas. So there's like clinical research, which is very like patient, direct patient, um, hospital, outpatient center kind of stuff. And then there's, um, there's like pharma, there's like surveillance epi, which is kind of research, kind of not. And there's like lab work, which a lot of people think is what we do as epidemiologists. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. The majority of us don't actually do lab work. If you look up epidemiologists on the US Bureau of Labor Statistics or really any other website, there will be pictures, um, of people on lab coats looking at microscopes. And that's so inaccurate because most of us don't do that anyway. Yeah. Um, and then My
1: I'm, I'm wearing a lab coat, but it's like the only time I've put it on in <laughs> <like> five years.
0: <laughs> right. Cause you're a PhD. I, I don't even have a lab coat. Um, although I do go into micro labs, but I don't, I don't, I, I can't say I don't touch specimens because we do transport them, but I have no reason to wear one. Anywho, um, and then there's the type of research where you're doing a lot of stuff on the computer, reading a lot of research papers. So what kind of research are you doing?
1: So ever all the research that I'm doing right now is real world data research. So it's all retrospective data that's been already collected and is already in databases or patient charts. So I, I, I have done clinical research before where I've actually been sitting with a patient, asking questions, collecting data prospectively, but I, that's not what I do in this project at all. So a lot of what we're doing is just already collected data and we're kind of getting it, collecting it and analyzing it ourselves for different purposes.
0: Okay, that makes sense. Um, for anybody who's unaware, I think, at least what I've seen uh, with epidemiologists, I think a lot is that type of retrospective chart review type of research, you can do research in any area like, like clinical research, like Katrine's done in the past, um, and lab research as well and other types. But um, yeah, a lot of it does seem to be chart reviews. And I get a lot of questions on TikTok about the job market for epidemiologists. I think this career field is something a lot of people didn't know about until two years ago when the pandemic started. And now a lot of people are interested, which is amazing and makes me really happy. And uh, it looks like the job market is growing. Before the pandemic, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics cited that that job outlook for Epi's was I believe 9% and it's projected to grow to 30% over the next wow. 10 years, which is amazing.
1: It is totally amazing. Um, I hope it does. I really do. I hope, I mean, it's really going to depend on what kind of funding is given by the, you know, states and by the HHS. And I think it's really going to depend a lot on, on funding I hope the pandemic showed people that the way we were operating before was not adequate or appropriate. I mean, we were getting by with our local health departments because and that was still completely understaffed before a pandemic, right? And then the pandemic just completely broke the healthcare system and the public health system, because it was like already operating at
0: like, you know, like, we were already
1: overwhelmed
0: and understaffed yeah. and underfunded.
1: Exactly. And I'm talking like, I even know what I'm talking about. I don't work at a health department and I, you know, I've never worked at health department, but I just know from talking to colleagues and, um, being involved here in Chicago, that, that, um, has been it was a problem before and it's it's crisis standards now you know there's just no two ways about it but hopefully there'll be more infrastructure built for the public health system because we truly need it more now than ever and if there's another pandemic like this I mean this is just and there will
0: be there's pandemics happen all the time with these ones with, there's always emerging infectious diseases. Correct. I mean, in the last like 50, 80 years, there's been Ebola and Zika and HIV and so many others. And yeah, it's certainly needed. So I would definitely encourage people to go into this career field. Um, I think Katrina's right that the funding, a lot of our jobs are dependent on government funding. And so if there's no government interests, to keep us going, then we're not guaranteed our jobs. But I also think there is opportunities in the private, I guess, industry with, with occupational health and, you know, public health officers. And I do think more private businesses will be allocating more money to those types of positions for us because now that we've gone through this pandemic and I mean, COVID's not going away, not that we'll be in a pandemic forever, but I do think more businesses are now understanding that pandemics happen and how that can affect their business. So, okay, so let's pivot and talk about COVID for a little bit. How do you think COVID's going to change over the next year or two?
1: I mean, it's really hard. Anybody who says they know anything about that is just making things up because we don't really no. I mean honestly we don't. I mean hopefully what well, we have a couple I mean for omicron we we've seen that some of the other countries South Africa the UK are starting to experience a decline or already have. So this tends this viral variant seems to have explosive growth, explosive transmission and then Kind of turnaround it seems like if if any if the data that we're looking at from other geographies is, is generalizable to ours we should be seeing a turnaround in a while but it's there's going to be a lot of infections before that happens unfortunately after that I don't know what's going to happen we really need to though vaccinate the african continent because if we don't right now there's only percent, I think I looked yesterday, 9.5 percent of the whole continent is fully vaccinated, which is really bad. Um, And if we don't do that, we're just going to keep getting these viral variants that end up spreading. Vaccine equity needs to be the priority for 2022, um, like the priority because. Yes you know, we're talking now about fourth doses in in Israel and stuff like some people haven't had their first dose in parts of the of the world. So we need to really look at that and pay attention to it because we're not healthy till we're all healthy. Right. So it's like if we don't do that, it's like we're fighting a fire just in the upstairs of a house while it still continues to burn downstairs. It's just not gonna work.
0: Yes, that is so true. And I think that kind of goes overlooked a lot. And people think, oh, when's gonna be when are we gonna have dose four, dose five, dose a thousand? But until we get the world vaccinated, these mutations are just going to continue. I mean, they're gonna continue anyway, yeah. but they're gonna continue at a faster rate. So I, and I completely agree. Nobody knows what's going to happen. There's been a lot, there's been a lot of talk um, among everyone and in the epidemiology, like community on Twitter um, about this pandemic becoming endemic. So do you want to talk about that and the potential for that to happen?
1: You know, I get that question like every day. Is this pandemic? <laughs> is this coming well, people want to know? When's this pandemic it, is gonna I end? I mean, we're definitely going to. I mean, COVID is not going anywhere. I think we've lot. we've definitely past, surpassed the window of you know, eradicating COVID. Right. So it's not going anywhere. So it's going to be endemic at some point. But right now we are still seeing epidemic outbreaks of COVID. And like this Omicron surge is like nothing we've ever seen before. So we are absolutely nowhere near endemic proportions at this time. <laughs>
0: part of what makes something endemic, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that go into it with like how many people are spreading it and all of that data part of it. But then there's also kind of a social part, I would say, to where I don't think a disease would be considered endemic if there's like constant surges
1: exactly where it's
0: overwhelming the hospital system. We are
1: not anywhere near, nowhere near. We're still having, like endemic is not like having outbreaks all the time, right? So outbreaks means there's more, epidemic outbreaks means there's more cases than expected in a certain place or time. So we are still having that all the time. Like at this point we do expect COVID, but we don't expect, like you're saying, the, the hospital system to be overwhelmed, the, the health care system to be basically broken. We can't find tests because people, there are so many sick people, we can't even diagnose them all. Right. That, is not, like. <laughs> that is not endemic at all.
0: Now the question that everybody wants to know, is this pandemic going to end? And if so, how? What can we expect to see?
1: It'll definitely end. I think what's going to end up happening is, I mean, like we said already before a couple minutes ago, we we're always gonna have COVID. We're, you know, it's not going anywhere. You know, they are working on pan-coronavirus vaccines, which this would be also work for. We will probably at some point we may even need another booster. Um, we don't know. I mean, like I said, I don't know how it's going to end or, or when, but pandemics do end. And, you know, it took a long time to get out of the 1918 flu pandemic and they had no vaccines. They had nothing. So, but that still ended without anything. Yes. They did a lot of the same mitigation that we do. Like, I. They wore masks, right? They wore masks. They, they knew that being in crowded social gatherings. I have a video on my page about like there was like a clipping from a newspaper from 1918 basically saying like stay with your own family like they had something crazy like the the boy scouts will be patrolling the streets to see if you need anything or something that's it was so being,
0: cute it was
1: <laughs> yeah I'm like and then it was like we need um And oh, and they said in this article, too, they said that men who men, of course, that work in Chicago, this was a clipping from Barrington, Illinois. It said men that work in Chicago and commute on the train should not do that until further notice because they knew that, you know, traveling back and forth was spreading the virus. So it's it's interesting because the public health measures, even before some of the sophisticated diagnostics, were were identified already. Yeah,
0: nobody knows how this pandemic's going to end. I I do have two, not theories, but I do have two ways I can't imagine it ending. But I have no idea how it's actually going to play out. I've had theories like this throughout the whole pandemic, and most of them are wrong because you know you can't predict anything.
1: No, we can't. I, like that's and and people think because we're epidemiologists we just know how these things are going to like people ask me every day when is this going to end and it's like God I wish I knew if I knew that I would make a video about it
0: <sighs> yeah I do I wonder if it'll be something like HIV where well unfortunately with HIV I'm not sure if that pandemic was ever really declared over with um, but the relationship we have with HIV in general in the US has changed to where. It was a period, and I wasn't alive during this time, but there was a period of a lot of news coverage and worries and fears. And, um, and then research came about and, um, and then gradually drugs were developed and just gradually the issue became less and less. And HIV is still one of the most significant health issues that we have in the yeah. world. Um, so that's not to say it, that issue is handled, but that we're not, we don't freak out about it in the U.S. the way that we kind of freak out about COVID because it's not, they're two very different issues. Um, Correct. And they spread very differently. But, right,
1: that's, that's, enough. that's part of it is the, the mode of transmission is so much crazier when it's a respiratory virus, right? Yeah, Exactly.
0: Um, But so I'm not comparing them in that way, but in the way that like, I do wonder if it'll be this gradual thing where there's, you know, now we have vaccines and we have some drugs, but um, the drugs will get better. We'll develop drugs that handle mild disease better and severe disease and death better. So um, we'll see. Or I think maybe there could be a variant that transitions us to yeah. more of an endemic status, um, which could happen. I think a lot of people are wondering, uh, I've heard a lot of people cite this idea that viruses become more transmissible and less deadly. Um, and I think a lot of people are saying that without really knowing all yeah. the, understanding kind of the nuances behind that general trend. And I know you're not a virologist, but do you have, you know, any, anything to add to
1: that? So the, the issue about like Omicron has, it's, it has changed the virus itself and the way it infects has changed too. So like what you're saying is how it, changed. I mean, that's, it is not necessarily like the common cold, which people are saying, which kind of every time <laughs> I, I hear th- that, it makes me crazy because people are getting really sick. You know, it's not the common cold. the common cold to me is like, you have a stuffy nose this was like this is not that so people but it is infecting people differently like there's a, there is a couple of studies now showing that it is less um it infects less in the lower respiratory like the lungs and bronchial tissue as it does in the upper respiratory so like the nose and throat so that makes it less kind of deadly because th- there aren't as many ICU admissions now with Omicron but there are still a lot of hospitalizations so this is what I think people don't understand is is because ICUs are not overflowing and people aren't going on ventilators there's still a lot of like young healthy people that um, are not vaccinated that are getting sick and needing supportive care in the hospital and oxygen even though they're not necessarily getting put into ICU, th- this is still overwhelming the healthcare system. And it's still causing hospitalizations because there are just so many cases. Right. right. But it has, ch- the virus has changed in the sense that it doesn't necessarily infect the lower respiratory, which is a good thing because that, you know, it's not necessarily like the death sentence it was for certain segments of the population with the vaccination and with this mutation.
0: The good thing about being vaccinated for COVID is you don't have to worry about dying from COVID. Yeah. Because that's extremely, extremely not likely. Like it's that's just it's not going to happen.
1: And when people, I think people don't understand that don't do the research that we do is that in epidemiology, it's like, we're seeing now, like the death rates, you know, the, it's like between vaccinated and unvaccinated. It's like, you know, 10-fold difference between vaccinated, unvaccinated rather, and vaccinated. So it's like, we don't see differences like that in risk factors in epidemiology very often, a 10-time decrease in, in a risk of dying. Like if there was a chemotherapy agent that said, Oh, if you take this chemo, you have a 10 times less likely or you'll be 10 times less likely to die of cancer. Like that's like unheard of. Right. So we have this vaccine that we can actually see the data, any public health data from around the world. The graph looks the same, right? You see the vaccinated line up here and then the flat line on the bottom is the vaccinated people. Like we see this Huge like delta between vaccinated and unvaccinated. So it's like, I don't understand what other data people need to see to understand that this vaccine is working. And, you know, just because people have breakthrough cases, you know, yes, like you're saying, it keeps you from dying. And we have some very strong evidence of that. And we don't see that very often in in epidemiology as having a protective factor that's that strong.
0: Right, right. Yes. And definitely to the people who think it is just a cold, I can attest as someone who got um, probably the Omicron variant, although a lot of people ask this, there's no way for 99% of people to know what variant you have. Okay. Um, given the fact that I got COVID, it was two weeks ago, it was during Christmas, um, at the start, um, of the Omicron surge where Omicron was becoming the dominant variant. And given the fact that my whole family's vaccinated and we all are, we breakthrough cases, it's obviously more likely that we did have Omicron versus a different right. variant. But anyway, it is not the cold. And my whole family can tell you Mm -hmm. that. I'm a healthy 24-year-old. I exercise. I eat really healthy. Um, I don't have any underlying conditions, thank God. And I'm not at risk compared to many other people. And it was not a cold for me. Do you have a piece of advice for any young aspiring epidemiologists? (sighs) Uh,
1: (laughs) Just, I mean, nobody, I, I feel like, nobody goes into epidemiology because they think they're going to be like driving a Ferrari and like have like, four houses. Right. I mean, you have to really love what we're doing in order to, you know, you just have to, you're, you're sort of like using your powers for good, <laughs> I guess. And, and there are ways that you can, you know, make money. You can work in different in industry or whatever, you can do whatever, but I'm just saying like there are, I would not get discouraged and just kind of keep focusing on the fact that you're really are making a difference, even though it's really it's it's really hard when you do a day to day job to know that you're making a difference because you just feel like you're sort of just plodding along. But public health workers really are heroes. And I mean, I feel like just focusing on that, like I would just don't get discouraged because it's not always going to be exciting and fun, and there won't always be a pandemic. So before the pandemic, it wasn't as exciting as it is now. So yeah, and and oh here's another piece of advice I would give is that make sure that you really go, there's a lot of directions you can go in epi, there's infectious, there's chronic, and even within that, there's like environmental epi, if you're interested in like exposures, there's, you know, all kinds of things you can end up doing. So I would just make sure that the direction that you're going is something you're really passionate about because there's something for everybody (laughs) in Epi. Like, I don't think I've ever met anybody that's doing the exact same thing that I'm doing within Epi. We all are studying different diseases, different exposures, different stuff. Like my best, like probably my closest colleague at work studies, injecting drug use. We both went to the same PhD program. We both work in the same department, but we couldn't be more different than what we're, you know, so it's like we ended up doing two totally different things, even though we have the same pretty much job and the same education. So just choose something you're passionate about because it will definitely make a difference.
0: You're very encouraging, Katrine. So thank you so much for coming on EpiCentral.
1: I always love talking to you, but this was really fun. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yes, of course. Okay, y'all, that completes this week's episode of EpiCentral. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to follow Kat on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. And as always, stay healthy and have a great week.
1: Bye! Bye!